The first reading is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 9, and that's found on page 657 in the church Bibles. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of forced labor is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear, and all humanity together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice was saying, cry out. Another said, what should I cry out? All humanity is grass, and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Indeed, the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Zion, herald of good news, go up on a high mountain. Jerusalem, herald of good news, raise your voice loudly. Raise it, do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Good morning. The second reading this morning is from the book of John, chapter 1, starting with verse 19. That's on page 976 of the church Bibles. This is John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? He did not refuse to answer, but he declared, I am not the Messiah. What then, they asked, are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who has surpassed me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I watched the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about ten in the morning. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. 
he first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means anointed one. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means rock. The next day, he decided to leave for Galilee. Jesus found Philip and told him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here is a true Israelite. No deceit is in him. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe only because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I assure you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Tim. If you haven't met, my name is Paul. We're in John's Gospel. We're going to be here for the next few months. Uh, I want to begin by uh, telling you a, a true story. Uh, so come back to the late 1800s. Uh, you're in North India. Uh, and North India at that time is aggressive in terms of its Hinduism and Christians there are being persecuted. Christians are being killed. There's, there's a man in a place called Assam in North India. He's a, a missionary. He's been there for many, many years. Uh, he's been praying, he's been preaching, and one day this whole family turned to Christ. A husband, a wife, and the two kids. They turned to Christ and they're baptized. Uh, the villagers, uh, they're outraged, uh, they beat them, they torture them, and they threaten to kill them. That's the background. Imagine that you were there that day, and the husband is facing the aggressive villagers, and they're saying to him, Stop believing in Jesus or we're going to kill you. And the Christian man said this, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And the villagers say, recant your faith in Jesus, otherwise we'll kill you and your wife and your kids. And the Christian man says, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. And the villagers say, recant your faith, stop believing in Jesus or we'll kill you. And the Christian man says, oh, none go with me, still I will follow. And they killed him. And they killed his wife and they killed his kids. And an Indian evangelist by the name of Sudha Singh heard of this man's last words and he put them to song. You know the song? I have decided to follow Jesus. The world behind me, the cross before me. The last verse of that song says this. Will you now follow Jesus? Will you follow Jesus? No turning back and no turning back. And I love that song. It's a very simple song. It's a very sincere song. I have decided to follow Jesus. So let me ask you 
right up front this morning, have you decided to follow Jesus? I'm not asking whether you believe Jesus existed. I'm not asking whether you like reading your Bible. I'm not asking whether you like coming to church. I'm asking, have you decided to, to follow Jesus? That phrase, following Jesus, it, it's, it's much more profound, isn't it? It's not just about facts. It's actually about your whole life. You've decided to, to make Jesus the, the center of your life. You put Jesus first in everything that you say and everything you do. Your, your words, your actions, your decisions are all shaped by following Jesus. Where he takes you, you will follow. Where he goes, you will go. Have you decided to follow Jesus? It's a phrase that Jesus used when he met Philip. Do you spot that in verse 43? Jesus found Philip. It was Jesus who found Philip, not Philip who found Jesus. Jesus saw Philip and he found Philip and Jesus spoke to Philip. And he didn't say, trust me. He didn't say, believe me. He didn't say, obey me. He didn't say, worship me. What did he say? Follow me. Not, not follow a set of rules, not follow a code of conduct, but follow me, follow the person. And Philip left everything and he committed his life to following this man called Jesus. And that's our sermon this morning, following Jesus, a very simple phrase. Ordinary people don't have a degree in theology. They're just ordinary men, ordinary women who commit their lives to following the man Jesus Christ. And in many ways, verses 35 to 42 are the model encounter with Jesus. If you're here this morning, you have followed Jesus. This is, this is your story. Verse 35, again, the next day, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. So, so John has a following. John has disciples. But when John the Baptist saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. You're supposed to sense the shock there because they've been waiting for years and years and years for, for the Messiah to come. And, G, and John says, there he is. The time has come. The two disciples, verse 37, they heard him say this. We know the name of one of the disciples, verse 40, his name's Andrew. We don't know who the other one is, but we guess he's John the Apostle. The two disciples heard John say, look, the Lamb of God, and what did they do? Verse 37, they followed Jesus. And at this stage, they're following from a distance. They're kind of intrigued. They're interested in Jesus. And verse 38, Jesus turned and he noticed them. Uh, John's gospel is very multi-layered. That word notice is not just that he saw them. It, it's literally he, he knew them. It's almost like he had eyes into them. Jesus saw these men following him and he asked them, what are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, son of respect. If you had one question to ask Jesus, one question to ask him, what would you ask him? A deep, profound, theological question, perhaps? What do they ask him? Rabbi, where are you staying? It's fairly mundane, isn't it? I just want to be with you. Where you go, I'll go. And Jesus said, I'll come and see. He invites them to spend time with him. And so they went and they saw. It's just important language. Come and see, says Jesus. 
come and spend time with me. Come and see who I am. And they went and they saw. They literally, they had the, the spiritual vision. Not just saw where he was staying. Because in verse 40, Andrew rushes and says what? We have found the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. See the pattern? Jesus finds you. Jesus sees you. And Jesus says, come and see. Come and investigate who I am. And if you go, and if you're willing to investigate, then you see who Jesus is, and you declare he's the Messiah, and you follow him. And then you invite other people to follow him too. I love this quote. Jesus was never interested in in having fans. He wanted followers. Jesus was not interested in fans. He wanted followers. And when Jesus defines what kind of relationship he wants, enthusiastic admirer is not an option. My concern is that many of our churches in America, put in Australia there, many of our churches in Australia have gone from being sanctuaries to being stadiums. And every week all the fans come to the stadium and they cheer for Jesus, but they have no interest in following him. The biggest threat to our church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following the Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. It's a great quote. Maybe that's you, a fan of Jesus. You come every week and you sing and you cheer, but you want all the benefits, but you don't want any of the responsibilities of actually being a follower. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? You've got to know who you're following. Here's a, a sad event in the, the Dale household. Sam has become a follower of Manchester United. <laughs> I've tried for the last three years. When he was age five, someone bought him a Manchester United shirt, and I confess I took it back to the shop and I changed it for an Arsenal shirt. But he's decided to follow Manchester United. What does that mean? In the Dale household, that means that he talks about Manchester United. He names the players. He's got the shirt. He's got the scarf. Every Monday, he looks at the internet for the English Premier League to find out if Manchester United won. His whole life is talking about Manchester United. That is tragic. (laughs) But it's us and Jesus, isn't it? If you claim to follow Jesus, you've got to know who it is you're following. And this passage is packed with titles of Jesus on the screen. The Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Son of Man. If you've got a shallow, superficial view of Jesus, you're not going to follow him. But once you've grasped who he is, you will follow that first title, Lamb of God, verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him. He said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's an extraordinary statement. What does it mean for Jesus to be the Lamb of God? Some people say, oh, he's the, you know, the, 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 the goat in the Day of Atonement that we've just talked about. 
You know, on the Day of Atonement, that you transfer the sins onto the head of a goat, the scapegoat, and it's sent into the desert. No, it's not rocket science, but that's a goat, not a lamb. <laughs> I don't think he's talking about that. So where in the Old Testament do you get a lamb? We just in Exodus, haven't we? Exodus at the Passover. Exodus chapter 12, what happened there? Uh, God promised that he was going to destroy and kill the firstborns. How could you be protected? You took a lamb and you killed the lamb and you put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And if you were sheltering under the blood of the lamb, then God passed over and you escaped the wrath of God. And Jesus walks into the world and says, I'm the lamb of God. If you shelter under my blood, then uh, the Father's wrath will be turned away. The Father's wrath will be passed over you, and you'll be spared. For Isaiah 53, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. That's what it means for Jesus to be the Lamb of God. He's your Passover lamb who turns away God's wrath. He's the slaughtered lamb who takes the punishment on his shoulders. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not just your sin, but everybody's sin. And if you see Jesus like that, he's the one who offers me forgiveness, free forgiveness, full forgiveness. He's the one who shelters me from the, the wrath of my Heavenly Father. If you follow him then surely your life is going to be marked by what? By, by gratitude, by devotion, by adoration, because he's actually forgiven you. If you see Jesus as the Son of God, what's the consequence of that? Again, verse 29. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and this is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who has surpassed me because Jesus existed before me. He's eternal. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified one day he was baptizing and he watched the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and rested on Jesus. And I didn't know Jesus, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and testified that he is the Son of God. It's not surprising for the, the Spirit to come on people. The Spirit came on David. The Spirit came on Saul. The Spirit came on Gideon. But it is surprising for the Spirit to remain or to rest on them. And God is saying, this is my Son. Uh, he, has it, he has the power to baptize with the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean for you to follow the Son of God? You're following God. You're not following a person. You're following God himself. You are following the one who has the power to equip you, to empower you, because he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. Not just with water. Any Tom, Dick, and Harry can baptize with water. Only Jesus can baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So you revere him and you respect him and you adore him and you worship him as God. You're following the Lamb of God. You're following the Son of God. You're following the Messiah. That's the word that Andrew uses in verse 41. He found his own brother Simon and said, We found the, 
the Messiah. It means king. It means Christ. It means the anointed one. He is the promised king. He is the, the ruler, the Lord. And that's why when John the Baptist was asked back in verse 20, are, are you the Messiah? He said, I'm not the Messiah. But I am pointing the way to the Messiah. And what does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? It's simple. He's king. It means he's on the throne and you're not on the throne. It means he's ruling your life and it means that you're not ruling your life. Do you know the, uh, the Colin Buchanan kid song? Jesus is the mighty, mighty king. Often say it the best, don't they? <laughs> I am not the boss. You are not the boss because Jesus is the boss. And that's what it means for him to be your Messiah, your king. It means that he's the ruler of your life. He's Lord of your life. He, he makes the decisions. He directs your career and your family and your fitness and your words and your work. It's all about honoring him as your Messiah and your king, living under his lordship. The fourth title is the Son of Man. That was Jesus' self-designated title down in verse 51. And Nathaniel, the cynic, calls him the Son of God and the King of Israel. Uh, Jesus calls himself, verse 51, the Son of Man. He says, I assure you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And the, the reference there is back to Jacob, who's wrestling with God and has this vision of a ladder up to heaven, rests on earth, reaches to heaven, Angels ascending, angels descending. And Jesus says, they're going to ascend on me, the Son of Man. And the title there comes from Daniel chapter 7. It's a, a title of authority, a title of ability to enter into the ancient of days. And Jesus says, do you know who I am? That's Jesus' question for you this morning. Do you know who Jesus is? He's not just a man. He's not just your saviour. He, he is the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Messiah. So what does it mean to follow him? The most literal way to define a follower of Jesus is this. Quote, someone who goes where Jesus goes. I'm not sure how you can call yourself a follower of Jesus if you refuse to go where Jesus went. If you're following Jesus wherever he went, he will take you towards a sinner that others wouldn't want to be seen with. You'll find yourself among the sick that others try to avoid. If you truly follow Jesus, expect yourself to be criticized by some religious people. If you truly follow Jesus, you might find that your family thinks you're crazy. His did. And ultimately, if you follow Jesus... You won't end up just covered in his dust. You'll end up covered in his blood. I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. What does it mean for you and I to follow him? Just two words, humility and witness. If you put your trust in Jesus and you're following him, you're not a fan, you're a follower, then you'll be humble, not proud. Because life is not about you, it's about Jesus. You are not the most important person in the world, Jesus is. Being popular is not your goal in life, making Jesus famous is your goal. There's lots of humble people in this passage. One of them is Andrew, in verse 40. 
He's one of the first people to follow Jesus. But what do we know about Andrew? What do you know about Andrew, the disciple? Absolutely nothing. He's just known as Simon Peter's brother. He's not a famous church planter. He's not a famous preacher. But I'm assuming Andrew's okay with that because as long as he's spent his life making Jesus known, that's okay. What about John the Baptist? He had a huge number of followers. He was popular. He was famous. He was baptizing people. But what did John the Baptist say? Verse 26. I baptize with water, but someone stands among you You don't know him. He's the one coming after me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. I just just splash water on people, but Jesus will baptize you with the Spirit. And it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And he does what even a Hebrew slave would not be willing to do, is to untie someone's sandals. Friends, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus... Humility is an essential, essential characteristic. It's important that your life reflects who you're following, that you're not attention-seeking, that you're not putting everything about you and your family. It's about Jesus. That you serve not to be seen, but to make Jesus seen, and you pray not to be heard, but to depend on Jesus and No job is too menial for you and no person is too difficult for you and you're not above other people because it's about serving Jesus. I think you can tell people's humility by reading their Facebook page, you know. Social media can be profoundly dangerous for our pride. We just put all these comments which are basically self-promoting longer for people to like it. And even the so-called Jesus comments, there's a hint of pride there because we want people to say, oh wow, how amazing is that person? If you encounter Jesus, if you follow Jesus, you'll be a humble person. And if you're following Jesus, you will be witnessing, you'll be inviting other people. When I talk about witnessing, I'm not talking about a program. I'm not talking about events. I'm not talking about a a scheme so you can share your faith. I'm just talking about you just naturally, every day, just talking about Jesus and inviting people to follow Jesus. So, So what was the first thing that Andrew does? Verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. Verse 41. He first found his own brother Simon. I'm assumed he loved Simon. I assume that he loved his brother enough to tell him, we found the Messiah. And verse 42, he brought Simon to Jesus. The same with Philip, down in verse 45. Philip found found Nathanael and told him, we found the one that Moses wrote about. And then Jesus meets Nathanael. And invites him to follow him. Isn't that the reality for most of us? If we meet someone who we think is worth following, we want to tell other people, don't we? 
I'm assuming that if I asked you how you came to follow Jesus, most of you would say, oh, I just knew somebody who was a follower and they actually invited me to come and come to church or they invited me to come to youth group or they invited me to follow Jesus. If you have followed Jesus, it should just naturally be part of your life. Just talk about Jesus. Not forced. You don't have to cover every single doctrine in every single conversation. Just talk about Jesus. But not just talk about Jesus. Model Jesus. Because people watch your life as much as they listen to your words. I reckon the watching world are very astute. They spot the true followers of Jesus. Because your whole lives are different, aren't they? Your priorities, your words, your acts of kindness, your acts of compassion. They will show people that you're following Jesus. Jesus does not want fans. He wants followers. My challenge for you this week is, have you decided... Have you decided to follow Jesus? The world behind you and the cross before you. No turning back.